Isn't that a great song? Well, I like singing that song. I like hearing you sing it. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 in our Bibles tonight. Some weeks ago I asked you on a communion service like this one, if you could go to any chapter in the Bible and you could pick, and there are several like this, but you could pick any chapter in the Bible that would describe your salvation, God's salvation, that you have received, what passage or what chapter in the Bible would, what might you go to? And there are several, and uh, the majority of them are found, if you want a clear description, a somewhat concise description of your salvation, um, you'll find them in the epistles, the Pauline epistles, those uh, <clears throat> Those writings, those words that Paul penned down, those official letters from the Apostle Paul to some of the churches. There's one in Colossians. Um, There's one here in Ephesians in chapter 2. And there are others. And uh, they're really incredible when you think about it. Uh, I love hearing people's salvation testimonies. I love when people uh, stand and they share how they got saved, how God saved them. Uh, that's, uh, uh, that's how we describe our salvation. We got saved. Sometimes we describe it that way, or we could describe it this way, that we've been born again would be another way that God describes it, and we could describe it that way. Uh, but in, in Ephesians chapter 2, I find there is a wonderful testimony that, uh, well, it's our testimonies that God describes. You know, when you give your salvation testimony, you're describing God's salvation in your life personally from your perspective. But how would God describe your salvation testimony? If, if he were going to stand for you and tell all of us about your salvation testimony, how would he describe it? And that's exactly what we find here. Uh, now, we, as believers, need to be taught, and it needs to be described for us, what happened to us. It's possible for a person to be born again, to believe the truth of the gospel, that Jesus, the Son of God, was, he, well, he, he died, he was crucified in our place, he was buried, and he rose again the third day, and that all who believe upon his name can be saved from sin today and death and hell to come, and that person can be born again, they can be saved, but... Still, not exactly sure how to describe what exactly happened to them. Uh, I'm not going to hell, they might say. I, I believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but what are the details? What, what has actually happened in their lives? And the Apostle Paul was talking to the church in Ephesus, and he was telling them, I want you to know, because of the death and burial and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want you to know what you have. In Jesus Christ. I want you to know what it is. And so that's what he's writing about. And I want to look at it tonight. Notice in verse number 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. Now these are things that they might not have understood. This might have been a little hard for them to grasp. And they're things that maybe you're, uh, maybe you don't fully understand. These are things that I'm still coming to grips with myself. It says in verse 1, And you hath he, Jesus Christ, quickened. means made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You, you used to be dead, spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, 
Verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. You did what the world did. You thought like the world thought. You loved what the world loved, according to the prince of the power of the air. Well, who's the prince of the power of the air? Can someone tell me? It's the evil one. The world does, for the most part, what the evil one wants them to do. And Paul's saying to the church at Ephesus, this is who you used to be. And I could say to you this morning, this is who you, or this evening, this is who you used to be. This is who I used to be. Uh, the, this prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He's, the devil's actively working even today. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation. Whenever you see that word conversation, most of the time it has the idea of a manner of life, how you live your life. Uh, among whom also we all had our manner of life, our conversation in times past, and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And then I love verse 4. Don't you? But God. So the first three verses are about who we used to be. Now, Keep in mind, Paul's writing to a church, a local assembly. I don't know how many members they had. This is about 2,000 years ago when it was, writ- when it was penned-, penned down. And uh, Paul tells them all, you used to be dead in your sins and trespasses. And uh, you did the will of the evil one every day of your life. But God did something in your life. And let's read about it, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened, hath he made alive us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now he's talking in verse 10 about the future which God hath before ordained, he's predestined us that we should walk in them. So in these, these, this concise passage, these, just these first ten verses, in the first three verses we find Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, telling these Ephesian believers, he's reminding them, this is who you used to be. You were dead. You were spiritually dead in sin and trespasses. You had no hope. You did the will of the devil every day of your life. And then he, in verses 4 through verse 9, he talks about what God did to save you. How he saved us. And he uses some theological words. And then in verse 10, he says, he tells us why he did all of this. Why God sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be saved from death and hell. Not just so we could be saved from death and hell, but because God has a plan for your life and for me, from now and for the rest of eternity, to do his will, to do his work, to accomplish his purpose. 
Let's, let's look at these verses. Uh, notice again in, in ver- the first few verses, and I just want to ponder this just for a few moments. Uh, as he reminds us of our true condition outside of Christ before we were saved. Now, tonight is a communion service, and uh, I'm not sure why that's happening. Uh, tonight's a communion service. Uh, we have grape juice here and here. Uh, the word you find in your Bibles most often for that is wine, the fruit of the vine. It's uh, not alcoholic. It's not been contaminated in any way. Um, it's pure. It's squeezed from grapes. And then here we have bread, unleavened bread. It represents the body of Christ. This juice represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're doing it because Jesus Christ has commanded us to do it. I'll tell you what, let's go to this mic. Would that help? It's on. But nothing's happening. All right, they're working on that. Um, I'll go micless. Can you hear me? All right. I will project from my diaphragm. It's still happening. Okay. Where was I? Do you remember? I'm going to pick on someone randomly to remind me. Okay, so the blood represents his blood, or the, the juice represents his blood. The bread represents his body. And we do it to remind us of the sacrifice Jesus Christ accomplished for you and for me. Uh, he purchased our salvation at a tremendous cost to himself. One of the goals I have for you as church members is that you would be able to share with other people what God did and what God, and what God accomplished in sending his son to die on the cross. Out in the foyer, there's a little rack off to the right-hand side when you exit the auditorium, and we call it our track rack. And in the track rack, there's gospel tracts, and they have some of the Romans road in them. They have verses written down that you could use to give to someone who doesn't know Christ, and it would help that person come to an understanding 
of what you're trying to communicate to them, that they need to be saved, and that Jesus Christ is the Savior. But the best testimony is for you and for me to live out, live a godly life in front of other people, and then when they ask a question, why do you have such hope, Brian? What is it? You can go through such struggles and trials. Mr. Roberts, how is it that you can endure all of this stuff and you can, what is it, why do you still have hope? And when people ask us that question, we need to be able to give them an answer. Well, you know, in 1984 in downtown Detroit, Michigan, I asked my dad to pull the truck over to the side of the road. He did. I got on my knees and I prayed. And we might say, well, Seth, that's your salvation testimony. No, those are the details surrounding my salvation testimony. Does that make sense? There's a difference. In other words, to be saved, someone doesn't have to be in a 1979 Ford truck in downtown Detroit, Michigan. That has nothing to do with my salvation, frankly. Those are just some details in the story. My salvation testimony is written down in verses 1 through 10. And yours is too. And the believers in the church at Ephesus, their testimony was written down here too. And Paul's telling them, this is the salvation of God. This is what God did for you. This is who you used to be. This is what God did to save you. And this is what he wants you to do now that you're saved. So let's look at these verses. This is a phenomenal passage, and I want you to think about it in that way. Uh, Number one, our salvation, or I could say God's salvation, involves the great love of God. Okay. Now, to highlight that love, and it is great, and that's the word that's used in our, in our passage in verse 4. I want you to look back to verse 1, and I want to highlight a few things in these first few verses. He says, And you hath he made alive, hath he quickened, who were dead. A dead man can't do anything for himself. He can't do anything for himself. He's dead. He can't revive himself. He can't help anybody else. There's nothing he can do. We were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. And we know from the scripture that the wages, the payment for sin, is death, eternal death. And Paul says to you and to me, and to those Ephesian believers, he says, you were spiritually dead. And what he's saying is, there was nothing you could do to save yourself or to help yourself in any way. Verse 2, he continues, wherein in time past ye walked... Going through life according to the course of this world, you did what the world did, you thought like the world thought, you loved what the world loved, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, you did the will of the devil, you were proud like he is proud, you were self-dependent, you were arrogant, verse 3, among whom also we all And he includes himself in this. We all had our way of living, our manner of life, our conversation in times past. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's who he used to be. And now he comes to verse 4 and he says, But God who is rich in mercy... For his great love, wherewith he loved us. Now think with me for just a moment. Those first three verses, he paints a pretty awful picture. 
He doesn't paint a picture of people who deserve the love of God and the mercy of God. He doesn't paint a picture of of people who are, well, they're moral and upstanding and they're trying their best. They may have been, but remember, all fall short of the glory of God. There's a tremendous abyss between the holiness and glory of God and the sinfulness of man. No matter how we dress it up to look like, people are still sinful and deserving of hell forever. And so, if you're talking to a co-worker, or you're, telling, you're talking to your children, your grandchildren, about your salvation, sure, bring up the old Ford pickup in 1979. It was blue, had, had black vinyl seats, and if you sat on the, the uh, little safety belt clicker on a hot summer day, you had a mark for several days. Go ahead and bring up the details of, of, that surrounded your salvation experience, but don't leave out your actual salvation experience. Does that make sense? Don't tell them all the details. It was a blue, sunny day. That has nothing to do with your salvation. What has everything to do with your salvation is God loved me when I was unlovable. That's what he's telling us. His great love, he says. And this is the beginning point of our salvation. Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world... When we take of these elements tonight and we, we, we uh, take the bread and we grind that bread in between our teeth and it represents the body of Christ, I, and I mean to do it when I to say it that way, I want you to think about that. When you grind the bread that represents the body of Christ, the flesh of Christ between your teeth, it's not the flesh of Christ. It just represents it. I want you to be reminded But there was a day when the Son of God, God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, stood there and they beat him and they literally ripped flesh from his body and he endured it for you and for me. The love, the great love of God. When we take of the the, uh, grape juice and we drink it, it represents, it pictures for us the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of that blood, there is no, there is no remission For sins, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness for our sins. It doesn't exist. There's no way. So a Jeff Lang can have four children, but yet if Jesus Christ has not died, there's nothing he can tell his children whereby they can be saved without his blood being spilt. And so you could tell your coworker when they ask you, or your neighbor, your relative, so what is it that you believe? What is it that... You say you were saved. What are, what are you talking about? Well, I can tell you, God loved me when I was a sinner. And there was nothing I could do to save myself. God loved me. The hymn, The Love of God, says this, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. That's me, that's you. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, something you write on, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. 
Or could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky? O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure, the saints and angels' song. You see, the love, this great love that he talks about in verse 4, is not because of who I was or who I am. This love of God that is so great, is, it is who God is. He is love. God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, John, the beloved, is writing to his fellow believers to encourage them to love one another. And John tells the believer that only a love for one another would motivate them to sacrifice for one another, to, to give to one another, to help one another. But this love doesn't come from within us. This love is of God. And he says it this way in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. He says, he says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested, was made obvious, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, substitutionary sacrifice for the whole world. That's love. And Paul says to these believers, your salvation experience involves the love, the great love of God. Tonight, when you partake, let that thought run through your mind. There are times where you and I may not feel loved by certain people. But every single one of us here, we know that God loves us. And he always has loved us. And he will always love us. Number two, you can talk to someone when you're telling someone about your salvation experience that your salvation involves the rich mercy of God. It's also in verse 4. Look at how he says it. He says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. And so... I'm saved because God is rich in mercy. Not only because he's great in his love, but because he's rich in his mercy. That word rich means abounding with. Someone sent me a video the other day via email, and it was, I don't even remember. These were cars, I I didn't even know Porsche made a car like this. And there was some McLaren, and it was a race between a Porsche and a McLaren and a Ducati. That's all I remember. I can't tell you any other numbers or letters. There was a G something in there. But the uh, McLaren was ruled the fastest of the three. But, I, but you know, as I looked at these things that I had frankly never heard of, I thought, who, what, who, who buys these things? They have to be loaded to be able to afford something like that. I think one car was over $900,000 for one of the cars. And they're driving them 200 miles an hour down a uh, runway. <laughs> I guess you can't find a road when you can drive that fast. Anyway, so uh, they're, they're testing these things out. And I thought, these people who, have to, who can buy and can afford something like this are wealthy individuals. Honey, I bought a car for $900,000. I can only imagine how that might go over. Anyway, 
very wealthy. Well, God is rich, abounding in, overflowing with mercy. And the word mercy here has the idea of compassion. And Paul tells these believers, God is great in his love. That's how your salvation began. But he's also rich. He's abounding. He has deep pockets when it comes to his compassion, his mercy. You know, that is encouraging to me. As I think back on when God saved me that day and how he's never given up on me, I know the spirit that dwelleth within me, the Holy Spirit of God, bears witness that these words are true because I have tasted of the rich mercy and the rich compassion of Almighty God. His his compassion, it says there in verse 4, it delivers us from trouble, but God who is rich in mercy uh, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even we were dead in sins. We were in trouble. Uh, Romans 6, uh, chapter 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death. We were in trouble. There was no way to save ourselves. And yet, God was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so out of his great love, his rich mercy, sent his only begotten son, his compassion, to die on a cross so that you could be saved and so that I could be born again, could be, could be made alive So I could have communion and fellowship with my creator, God. Because before I was made alive and I was spiritually dead, back in verses 1, 2, and 3, I had no fellowship with God Almighty. And you know, many of all of us could say the same thing. You might have had a neat car, but before you were saved, you had no fellowship with God. You might have had a good job or a great career path, but before you were saved... You had no fellowship with God. But because of his rich compassion and mercy, he's made us alive. And that's the third truth. I, would, I could tell someone, let me tell you about what God did for me. It all starts with his love, his great love. He loved me so much, he sent his son to die for me. And then I've got to tell you about my God, his compassion. His mercy is new every morning. He's so compassionate. So compassionate he was willing to send his son to die for me on a cross. And for you. And, and to what end? Well, to make me alive. To save me. To give me life. And to give you life too. Notice it in verse number 5. He says in verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, when we were dead, there's no reviving this. It, we had to be rebirthed. He hath quickened us together with Christ. And then he throws in those words, by grace are ye saved. And of course, we know grace is something that is not earned. And don't forget to tell your loved one or your child or your grandchild, Grandpa couldn't earn salvation. There was nothing I could do to earn it. Tell your neighbor that. Tell your co-worker that. In verse 6 it says, And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, by the way, this is our present condition. If you're a born-again child of God, he has raised you up. You've been reborn. Your spirit was dead before you were saved. And when you received Jesus Christ by faith, 
the Holy Spirit of God took up resident in your life and you were born again. You were made alive. You passed from death, no fellowship with God, no communication with God. You might have prayed. It didn't really go anywhere. You passed from death unto life. You were dead. He made you alive. All things are become new. Recently, and I love when this happens, when a new believer tries to tell me what has happened in their lives. And they perhaps not, have not read this passage of scripture. They don't, they don't know exactly what to say, but I've heard them say to me, I feel like I'm a new person. Things are not the same. I feel like I'm alive. And I always smile because they really don't know what they're saying. But what they're saying is the truth. They were dead, but now they're alive. So he's raised us up together. He's made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I read a thank you card from Riley Bohalski today. At the the bottom of the thank you card, he wrote, in Christ. Riley. Are you in Christ? We've talked about this before. When you receive Christ, you're immersed into him. His death, his burial, buried with him, and raised with him, made alive. Are you in Christ? Many of us are here today, and I can look around and I can say, I'm in Christ, and you're in Christ. I'm in Christ, and you're in Christ. You know, we can do that. That's what this is. Whose idea was this church thing? Nonprofit? Was it the IRS? No. Whose idea is this? What has happened? How is it that I can go from here to another state or another country where we don't even necessarily speak the same language, but that person has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I have as well, and we are both in Christ, and Christ is in us by his Holy Spirit. We are, we are alive in a world full of dead people. So it involves being made alive together with Christ. Verses 8 and 9, we're pretty familiar with this. He says, For by grace are ye saved. By the unmerited favor of God you're saved through faith. That's taking God at his word, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This salvation is a gift from God to us, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what? If you and I could earn our way to heaven, we would boast about it. Well, I did my best. We might try to start out in a humble way. Well, you know, I just did my best. (laughs) But in the end, it worked out for me. I was pretty good. We would be so arrogant. What we gather together tonight is a group of believers who are born again. We've been made alive. And it's not because of anything that we did. It was his great love, and it was his rich compassion and mercy. And we've been made alive by the unmerited favor of God and not of my works. To what end? What should, where should we go from here? We'll notice verse number 10 and we'll be done. For we are his workmanship. We have some men in the church and ladies in the church who... We have some ladies who do some scrapbooking. That's work. There's some workmanship involved in that. 
Um, we have some men in the church who are carpenters. There's some workmanship involved in that. Mechanics. There's some workmanship. You, you're putting something together. You're working. to accomplish. When you're done, there's something there. Um, we are God's workmanship. Do you know that? And I've mentioned this from time to time, but God, our Heavenly Father, is absolutely committed to accomplishing what he started. Some of us have some projects that we haven't completed yet. We have some projects, maybe, that we started, but we stopped because we we didn't have the money to complete the project. And so we're going to save some money, and when we have the money, we'll complete the project. And we lack some resources to finish our project. You know what? God doesn't lack any resources. He has every single resource that you and I need to be who God wants us to be. And he is dedicated to accomplishing, to finishing the project, you and me, the workmanship that he has begun in us. And we've been created in Christ Jesus, he says in the middle of verse number 10, unto what? I can't, go ahead. Unto good works. Why are you different? What? I mean, you're a nurse and you work on the floor with a bunch of other nurses. You all went to school or you took classes, you were trained. You, stay, you take the same, you have the same refresher courses and different training and different things, how to use this equipment and how to use that equipment. Why are you different as a nurse? Why are you different as a salesman? Why are you different as a mom? What is it about you as a daddy that's so different from the other dads? What's different about you? And what we ought to be able to say is, well, the love of God and the mercy of God, and he's made me alive in Christ. And it's not because of anything I've done. It's, It's because of his grace. It's because of his favor. I don't deserve this. And by the way, you don't either, but he will save you too. Unto what? Unto good works. He didn't just save us from death and hell to live like this world. He didn't just save us from death and hell to live like verses 1, 2, and 3. He didn't save us from death and hell and indwell us by his spirit and rebirth us by his spirit and give us life, eternal life, so we could live like dead men all around us, obeying the, obeying the will of the devil. He saved us. For good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And by the way, I love that. It's just one step at a time. I don't have it all figured out. I make mistakes. I can remember my dad. He won't mind me sharing this. I can say the same thing about me, but I can remember my dad. as I was the oldest, and there were times where he would come to me and he'd say, Seth, you're my oldest. I've never done this before. I've never been here before. You know, we could say that, we could all say that about raising, training up children. We, can all, we could all say that. I, I've, I've, I don't, I've not forgotten those words from my dad because I'm reminded of that on a daily basis with my own children. We could say that about our marriages. We've been, safer, we've been married for 15 years, but you know what? We've not arrived in our marriage one step at a time. Walk in this. Um. I'm pastoring and been going at it almost five years now, but you know what, I haven't, I haven't figured it out. Just one day at a time, just one step at a time. 
doing good works. Doing what the Spirit of God leads me to do and the Word of God commands me to do. So, what's your salvation testimony? You might have an old blue Ford truck in your salvation testimony. That's great, I can relate. But you probably don't. And if you don't, if it was a Chevy, you know, we might question, you know, we might have to ask some theological questions to find out. No, I'm just teasing. It has nothing to do with Ford or Chevy, does it? Or blue skies or dark skies or how old we were or where we were. Did you come forward or did you go backward? You went backward to get saved? I, I... This is your salvation testimony. And it is not finished until you are home with your Heavenly Father. As we partake of the elements now, and they come to you, and you partake of that bread, and think of Christ's body broken and his blood shed, remember God's salvation. You've heard it tonight, and you can rejoice if you're saved that it, God's salvation is your salvation. Let's pray.